hello there. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. <laughs> I love doing that. I like scooping it in. A lot of fun. Uh, welcome. It has been so much fun doing these things. I always say this like every episode now, but it gets funner and funner. Um, I just had a fantastic conversation uh, with a woman named Doris uh, Sepp, and she we were talking about storytelling. That episode's coming up later. But it just hit me that the podcast is sort of going into a direction of, a, uh, of stories. And I'm a big fan of stories. I like storytellers. And I honestly think that stories are the antidote to all of this disconnection and madness that we have in this world. Just to connect through stories. Um, and my, so my friend uh, and executive producer of said podcast, Michael Simpson, told me that we are growing uh, well, as a matter of fact, apparently, I don't want to know the numbers, to be honest with you. It's fun for me. But uh, he told me that we were, though, in 14 countries, and I thought that was fantastic because apparently now I am global. <laughs> um, uh, weird to say. And so I thought I'd do uh, a little episode or uh, section of the show, rather, called the International High Five, and I'm going to give a little shout out to one of the countries. So the first country that I will give a shout out to is lovely Belgium, and I will always play the national anthem for said country, and this is Belgium's national anthem, ladies and gentlemen. Now, it starts off a little slow, just a little lilting, and then it goes into this, and here it comes. So... Belgium. I visited your fine country uh, in 2013. It's kind of get away for a while. Saw a lot of amazing things. Uh, you know, the whole town. I, I, I went to Brussels, and the whole town is essentially a candy-coated, pixie-dusted Cinderella's castle from like Disneyland. Gorgeous city. Um, the cathedrals are just magnificent. Uh, of course, the chocolate's great. You got the uh, the uh, beer, uh, the coffee. There's only one thing that I need to kind of dink you on a little bit. Just ding a little bit is the mayonnaise thing. A lot of mayonnaise. A lot of mayonnaise. But other than that, that is Belgium, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to stop the national anthem. Sorry. And this next episode, our interview... I did is with a fine gentleman named Fief Sutton. Fief Sutton is a writer and producer, and he has done uh, written scripts for Mrs. Winter, uh, Mrs. Winterborn, and also The Fan. I love that movie, just completely bananas, with like Robert De Niro selling knives and Wesley Snipes is a ball player, and there's like a just brain everywhere because it's a Tony Scott production, so it's fantastic. Uh, he's also uh, he's also a producer and writer for Cheers, and he also worked with Bob Newhart, and I'm a major Bob Newhart fan, so that was fun to discuss. Mystery writing to discuss. Uh, we dorked out on some science fiction writers, because that's how dorky we are, apparently. And that's really it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did uh, talking to this guy, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. I guess I will. <laughs> Bye. And hello, everyone, gathered, dazzled throng. I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Fief Sutton. Say hello to the said dazzled throng, Fief. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you so much, so much for doing <laughs> this. Um, 
you and I were just chatting a second ago about uh, how you and I have a lot of uh, taste, seemingly so, for both the bad <laughs> and the good. I'm yes, yes. Very excited about. Um, the first question that I like to ask on these things is pretty simple, and we'll see where this goes. Because this podcast is all about inspiration and finding the muse. What was the first thing that you can remember as a kid that you saw, heard, experienced that influenced you and why? Well, you know, it's it's, it's hard to remember that far back. <laughs> but I do remember, I, I, one of the things that I remember is, is, you know, watching, you know, late night horror movies and, uh, you know, just, just being transported by the universal monsters and, and all that. And then I, and I saw the pit in the pendulum and I was watching, you know, Star Trek and I was watching reruns of the twilight zone. And I realized that they were, that all my favorite ones were written by a writer named Richard Matheson. Uh And, and I, I just, I think he was the first writer that I, I realized where I realized that things were written by somebody and so, um, uh, you know, I went out and bought all his books and all that. And I became a huge Richard Matheson nerd. I'm good friends with his son, with his son. But that was really, I think, partly uh, one of the first things that I realized that somebody that you could actually write these things, you could actually do them. They don't, they, they don't just happen. You know, the actors don't, don't make up the lines. The the director doesn't do everything. I I was in my in my uh, posts on on. Facebook and Twitter. I always make a point of listing the writer first, instead <laughs> of then the director, um, <laughs> because nobody because nobody does that, you know. And sure. um, uh, you know, then there were. I mean, obviously there were things before that. There was Dr. Seuss and 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 all that. Where I, I, but I just I just this was probably that was probably the my my voyage into pop culture and into writing and all that definitely came from from you know. The old, you know, horror movies. Uh, you know, they, they, had, they had, I grew up in Washington D.C. and they had a, a couple of horror movie hosts on uh, Friday and Saturday nights. And I used to watch them all the time, and and uh, I just got inundated with all that, you know. And um, that was that was really I, I was I was definitely a monster kid, as they as they call us. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, everything from the the Mexican horror movies to the Universal horror movies. To the Hammer yeah. horror movies, I saw them all all mixed together, and I didn't have any sense of what was made first or anything. Um, right. And later, I sort of tried to figure it out. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Oh, that that that's the one genre that I haven't actually you know written in very much. Um, but um, I, I I I I still would like to if I could. <laughs> yeah, why haven't you? That's actually an excellent question. Well, you know, you, you you take what what comes your way. I mean, I, I, in my in my books, uh, I, I guess I could write a, a, a horror book. I haven't I haven't taken that plunge. I did write one for uh, for for Lee Goldberg's uh, um, Dead Man series, um, mm-hmm. the Midnight Special, it's called. Yep. But yep. Um, you know, you, as far as as far as you know, TV work for pay, movie work, you know, you you take what you're what you're offered. You take the opportunities that come your way. And mm-hmm. um, the opportunities that that tended to come my way were, you know, comedy, and then then the comedy drama uh, type series like uh, Boston Legal and Terriers. 
and then and then the family comedy of uh, Chesapeake Shores. So it mm-hmm. it uh, you know you just take what what comes your way. Nobody nobody has has said to me why why do you write one of those? So I haven't done that. The books I've written have been more uh, hard boiled mysteries, which I um, another genre that I deeply loved when I was a kid, uh, Raven Chandler and, and Daniel mm-hmm. Hammett and James Cain mm-hmm. and all that. I devoured all of them and Ed Donald Westlake and um, Jim Thompson and, and all mm-hmm. that. I mean, I just read, I read all those paperbacks you could find. And, um, and so I've, I've, uh, I've written three of those, which are the, the crush books that are available, available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. There we go. Crush, Plug it. Crush, uh, Crush uh, Heart Attack and Vine and um, and Colorado Boulevard. They're called. They're all named after um, most of them. And I, I mean to write a third one, but then I got I got caught up. I I got caught up in doing doing this show for for Hallmark, which has been taking up uh, taking up all my time now. So. Well, I I have um, to say by the way, as a uh, as a fellow nerd. Um, the heart attack and divine reference was fantastic. I love my Tom Waits. <laughs> good. Yes, yes. Well, I, I, I funny. I, I, I did get him to give me permission to use that title, and oh, wow. I quoted, I quoted him at the beginning, and, uh, and then we did it. We did it. We did a book signing for it at Romans here in Pasadena. I live oh, yeah, in Pas- I South Pasadena, and, and. Uh, I had Phoebe Bridgers singing uh, "Heart Attack and Vine" this was just before she became big, you know, because uh, she went to my daughter's school, um, and uh, I knew her. I was very, I'm very proud of her. That's right. <laughs> She's That's doing right. very well. She's That's doing right. very well. I used to live in South Pass, by the way, so I, I know that area really well. Oh yeah, yeah. I've lived here for thirty some years. It's a great place. Do you mind if I go backwards for for a heartbeat? Not at all. Not at all. I got a, just a, my own personal story that you reminded me of that I completely forgot about. I'm sure you know Harlan Ellison. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, ne- I never met him, but I know a lot of people who did, and, and sure, I know him. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I did meet him, and this is a quick story. He was working on the show Babylon 5 way back in the day. It was kind of his thing. Yeah, I yeah. A mm-hmm. girl, girlfriend of mine was doing the cast party thing, and so I meet this guy. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who Harlan is. And he starts telling me the story about how he quit smoking. And it was a fascinating story. And it was really good storytelling. And I turned to him and I said, you're really good. You should be a writer. Without <laughs> who he was. And everybody around him were like, <gasps> but he was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope he laughed when you said that. Strangely um, enough, he did. Apparently not the greatest person in the world, but he did. So that was really nice. So Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I know that. Well, yeah, in my... My podcast that I do, uh, uh, Film Freaks Forever, that oh. I do on on uh, on Spotify and iTunes and all that. Um, we we covered the Oscar last. Uh, we did the we did singers who act. So I did uh, Tony Bennett in the Oscar, and he, uh, Harlan Ellison, of course, famously wrote the Oscar. That's right. It's one of the legendary bad movies that's enjoyable to watch because it's so that's over true. the top. And 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 the writing is equally over the top as uh, as uh, you know he was shooting for the Clefred Odette style in in uh, Sweet Smell of Success and he would way 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 over <laughs> it's, it's a but it's a very enjoyable movie it's a very enjoyable I gotta ask you too how did you learn so much about film books music well I did from? I didn't go to 
film school. I, I, I never did that. I just, you know, when I was a kid, you know, back when the dinosaurs ruled the earth, I, you know, they had in Washington, D.C., they had like five different repertory movie houses where you could go see old movies. And I used to go every weekend and I go to the circle, the inner circle, the biograph, the uh, American Film Institute, the Janus Theater. And I'd see, you know, Truffaut movie and a Fellini movie and a Night of Living Dead and a, a Sajid Ray movie and a Preston Sturgis movie and everything yeah. again, everything all mixed together. And I just, I just was fascinated by it and I studied it and and I, um, I, uh, I've always been, you know, I, I can, I can now, you know, I can, if you were to ask me, you know, who the, uh, you know, executive at, uh, you know, Hallmark is that that handles my show, I'd have to think about it for a second. But if you were to yeah. ask me, you know. Who who wrote what episode of the Twilight Zone? I could I could name it in a heartbeat. You know, it just those <laughs> those things just just have stayed with me. And and as far as music goes, I I really have no explanation for that because I can't play any musical instrument. I have no I have no um, ability as a singer. I never never did music, but I love music and I just I just read about it and I got you know I written you get into history of rock and roll and the history of jazz and the history of, uh, you know, classical music and all that. I just, I, I don't know. I just tend to tend to uh, absorb a lot of information about what I, what I want to know about, you know, there's a great podcast, by the way, uh, called the history of rock music and 500 songs. That is uh boy, boy, it's terrific. I recommend it. And also it was a great country music one. <laughs> while we're Ooh. while I'm recommending podcasts, which you didn't ask me to do. There's a great country music one called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Oh that is uh fabulous. Um Is that like the outlaw guys? Outlaw country? It's it's all country. It's all country. But but oh, it's good. it's it the host the host is the is the son of David Allen Coe, if you know oh. who he is. <laughs> Um, right. um, and Taylor May and Co. And so it's it's just it's very good inside stuff and um, really wild. Um, but anyway, yeah, I I just uh, you know I I you know but I'm that way about history too. You know I yeah. I, just well, re- I my, read a lot. My <laughs> comment. I tell you what. Let me be uh, let me be the therapist that I am when in my in, in my other current life. Here's the. I'm going to make an observation and then a question for you. You ready? Here we mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. The observation is, I read. I once read that Keith Richards said, and this may resonate with you, um, that Keith Richards said, and he, they said, you know, how do you write music? And he said, well, I just find the song, and you got to be a lightning rod for it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. floating everywhere. You got to find it. Mm-hmm. Which, and as such, you know, the things that you mentioned clearly you're in tune as an artist. That's kind of what this whole thing's about. Mm-hmm. Right? So clearly you're mm-hmm. in tune. So that question mm-hmm. becomes how like do you find it or does it find you? The story, the song, the music connect, whatever that is. Well, I I, I said that's a, that's an excellent question. I, I, I think it finds me um in in that you know, I mean there, there there are two different kinds of writing that I do, you know, that I do. There's the writing for hire in which you are, you know, you you have to do what they want you to do and you have to do it in a way that they've hired you to do it. And in that sense, yeah, you definitely, you know, have to, it has to come to you, you know, you have to come to you and you have to understand the style that they're, that they're writing. If you're writing for somebody else's show, if you're writing for a David Kelly show or a, 
uh, Charles Brothers show, you have to learn to write in their style. And mm-hmm. and that is, I mean, it's it's kind of like joining a band. You know, you have to play the kind of music that they play. And so in that sense, yeah, you, you wait for it to come. I mean, when I'm writing for, by myself for myself, um, it's still it's still that way, actually. It's almost more that way because you're waiting for the inspiration that will come that will make it will make you go, oh wow, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Or, that'd be an interesting mm-hmm. thing to do. Yeah, and and when you're in that mode of creativity, you know, it's, it's almost like everything that you experience, see, and read somehow tends to feed into that thing, so mm-hmm. that you um, <clears throat> you you know you. You oh god that that would work or that that could do it that could do it and and yeah you're just really in a heightened state of awareness mm-hmm. and, although not necessarily in in heightened state of awareness of, of about the world around you because you can you know easily uh, tune a lot of that out or too much of that out actually but you're um you know you're you're yeah you're a sponge you're sucking soaking stuff up and then you use it and I've often wondered. You know why it is that an artist will. I mean, attack my songwriters. You know why it was that that you know that during that you know that seven year period when the Beatles wrote all that music, or that early period when Wayne Nelson was writing all those songs, mm-hmm. how they did that then, and then afterward they had their great careers and they did a lot, but they never quite had that yeah. that incredible period of energy you know or when you know Preston Sturgis was directing movies you know for like 10 years and then he never did anything again you know uh, obviously that, that that is is partly because of the opportunities didn't come up and he wasn't hired because because directing movies is an expensive thing but you know songwriting is something you could presumably always do and when he doesn't has has written some great songs uh you know in the in the intervening years but in that first period of time he just wrote so many so many great songs of course and uh i don't know you know you wonder why that happened you know why that happened you know they they say that you know that dolly parton wrote um jolene and i will always love you in the same day or something or same you know yeah and boy you know i don't know how that happens but there's sometimes when when yeah when you when it just strikes you and you are just incredibly creative have you heard the story about Dolly Parton and why she wrote I Will Always Love You, the story behind that? About Porter Wagner? Yes, you have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no, I've I, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was she was gonna leave Porter Wagner's show and you know, she she'd been mostly known as his his uh his his singing partner and uh she wrote that as a farewell song, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful song. I love that song. I love that song so much. And then when the Whitney Houston version of it came out, I like, God damn it, everybody everybody thinks they know it now, but they don't. <laughs> um, here's my next question for you. So I found this in your bio, and I thought this was fascinating. And I'm sure you can pull on this thread. You said that when you were at Madison University and, and you were yeah. writing and think playwright, this in your bio, it says that it was the first time you had experienced the joys and the terrors of having your words performed in front of an audience. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there you go. I mean, that that is that you know, there's the. I mean, if 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 it's comedy, my my stuff was not strictly comedy, but but you know, they either laugh or they don't. I mean, I mean, the the audience uh, does does tell you whether or not it's working, and uh, mm-hmm. and I remember there was one play that I now they wrote that I was in it too, 
And, okay. and you know, at that point, you have nobody to blame. You, you can't say, you know, who wrote this shit? And you can't say, the actor screwed it up. You know, that's all on you, you know. Uh, so yeah, no, that, that was a, that was a wonderful experience, but obviously it, it was a, a mostly, uh, nurturing and fulfilling experience because I kept doing it, you know? Um, Clearly. I mean, the thing about writing is the thing about writing is that if you can do anything else, <laughs> by all means do it. I mean, if you, if the thing is you, you have, you have to, if you're going to become a writer, you have to be the sort of person that will, would write no matter what, you know? Um, because it's a, it's a tremendously difficult job. And I mean, not that writing itself is that hard, but it's just, it, to make a living as a writer is almost impossible. And so you have to, it's like, well, it's like acting or singing. I mean, if you, unless it's the most important thing in the world to you, you know, do something else for God's sakes. <laughs> because, <laughs> Because it's it's uh, you know I mean I I I knew when I started out in, in as a as a as a nobody writer I knew it would be really hard to break in I knew that but what I didn't know was how hard it was to stay in huh? it's it's almost just as hard to stay in I mean I'm I'm now um uh you know in in, in let's say I'm past fifty and um <laughs> and to continue to to have a career as a writer is 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 a really, 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 really difficult thing. Really difficult thing. I, mean, I know a lot of writers my age who aren't who aren't writing now, and and or you know, I mean, in 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 show business, in in right. movies and TV and such. I mean, you obviously write write. The nice thing about being a writer, because I, I was an actor too, and I used to think, well, the nice thing about being a writer is that you can you can always write. I mean, if nobody nobody buys your stuff, nobody hires you, nobody does it, you can still write. But you can't really act unless you're somebody puts you in a play or somebody puts you hires you for a job. You know, you can't just stand around in your apartment and write and act. You know, so uh, yeah, and and I would I would I would be writing if if no one was hiring me. But fortunately, they right. are. And that is the creative process that I like to discuss with other artists because um, I'm I'm kind yeah. of one myself for better or for worse, sometimes worse. Um, because I have that, uh, God, one of the guys that I interviewed, a guy named Creedy Johnston, who was just a great musician, he said it was a curse of being yeah, an artist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is sort of a curse. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's, I, I guess, in the long run, I consider it a blessing because I know what I want to do. Right. And a lot of people don't know what they want to do. And I know what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, I often, you know, curse it and 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 and, you know, um, but I, you know, it's a calling, you know, it's perfect word for it. I use that actually as a therapist. Yeah. I tell people that all the time and yeah. back to your point about you have to create. That's one thing I find in all artists, not necessarily people who quote unquote play music or quote, you just, the people who actually create, they have to do it. Otherwise mm -hmm. they will soul death of addiction of, and that's a bit of an overstatement, but in general, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was writing, you know, short stories in, in, in high school and sending them off to Alfred Hitchcock magazine and Ellery Queen magazine, Playboy magazine. And I would get all these rejections that I would proudly, you know, put on my bulletin board and all that. Never, never got one accepted. Never did. But I, it was almost like that in itself was sort of a, 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 a positive reinforcement. Just the fact that I could get a rejection. <laughs> 
<laughs> and 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 you you have to you have to know if I mean if you're ever in this in any anything in this field you are going to get rejected so many more times than you're accepted. Mm-hmm. Even even when you're even when you're successful, quote unquote successful, you are going to get rejected all the time. If you can't mm-hmm. take rejection, then do something else because it's it becomes your your. I mean, it's it, basically it's it's all you get. <laughs> right. You know. But yeah, no. But but I, I've always been writing since since then. You know, when when I now were plays in college, and then I you know wrote screenplays, and I wrote, and I started writing for a living, and and the problem with with do, doing what you love for a living, everybody says you know you should do find out what you love to do for a living, is that this is not a a uh, an argument against that, but it's a good to bear it in mind that, that if you do what you love for a living, then you will grow you will grow at some point to hate it, you know you will because you, it's your it's your job and you will right. there will be those times when you just you just fucking hate this and you get the stupid notes from the network and the you know the inane notes from the producer and you have to do this and you don't even want to do the project anymore and you can't but you got to keep doing it i mean sure. that that's that's the life of any project you know i i, I read a quote i don't remember who it was from it's, a, it's a, something like you were writing a novel you, you better write the kind of novel you like to read because you are going to read it 100 yeah. times <laughs> That's so true. I think of the same thing, honestly, when I when I think of artists, right? Like you 2 or like any yeah. band that's been around for long enough. They've yeah. been playing, you know, some of the I'm looking for a billion times. And you have to, you know, really be into it. Right, 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 right. Um, so as far as being a writer, you know, you've, been, you've written and worked on Cheers and, you know, New Heart and Boston Legal and Terriers mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. What do you mm-hmm. do when you look at the blank page? That great question. What do you do when you look at the blank page? Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's funny. It it it's absolutely true when you look at the blank screen now. Um, yeah. Every time you look at the screen, you think, I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea how to do this. I've never. I don't know how to start. I don't know how to huh. do anything. It's it's a it's a daunting thing. What I tend to do actually is I I kind of cheat. Is that I I I don't write the first scene first. I I, I go into the middle and I write the scene that I think I know w- what it's about. Or even, or even just randomly pick a scene in the middle and write that. And then, because I, I don't have to write the first scene. Because writing the first scene is so scary that I sort of sneak up on it and do it that way. And, you know, write it out of order. Yeah. Interesting. Why is the first scene so scary? Yeah. yeah. Well, because you know it's the first scene and you know it's the, the one that has to grab everybody. And you know it's every, and it's just the start. I don't know. It, it just, it, it, it intimidates me. Um, so I, I tend to not do that. And also the first scene is, is the scene that's most likely to change through the course of, of rewrites. So, um, so in a way it's, it, it's, it's best not to think of that as the, the cornerstone of it, but to, you know, so I'll often do the first scene, you know, what after I've done about half of it, I'll go, well, fuck it out. Now I'll write the first scene and see how it goes. Right. Right. Um, um, what have you learned from your failures and your successes? Well, I, I like the successes more. Um, <laughs> uh, um, um, I, you know, I don't. I, 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 I only have you know like one one writing speed. You know, one one level of of writing. I can only do one thing. So when I, you know, when I when I do something and it 
quote unquote fails. I put as much effort into that as I did something that that didn't. So I don't know. It's it's uh, it's um. What if I learn from my failures? Just you know, it, it depends across what you mean by 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 failure. Um, I mean, probably the biggest failure that I had was was I, I did the American version of of Steve Moffat's uh, show Coupling, yeah. and that was a I you know I, that was a huge failure. That was a you know I I was in I was in TV jail for like five years after that, and um, I I don't know what I learned from that, <laughs> other than right. that, that that people had people's expectations of it were such that it that it couldn't match their expectations, but they were, I mean, I remember reading reviews of it. They were complaining about the fact that it was done with a laugh track, done with a, in front of a live audience with a laugh track. And, you know, the British one was done in front of a live audience with a laugh track. Right. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, that, 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 that one really, really burned me, but I can't say what I learned from it other than that. You just have to, pick yourself up and carry on. You know, you have to, you know, dust, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try all over again, like the song goes. And, um, I, even I, mean, I have learned to sort of, sort of relax more, sort of to, to be myself more, to, to, to write, you know, like I write, you know, and, and, and not, not worry about, you know, what the way other people, uh, expect me to write, you know? Sure. And then the, the other, Big experience I had was I had a, a brain aneurysm about 15 years ago and I almost died and and okay. um, obviously um, affected my writing too in in a lot of ways. I take more chances now. I think I don't I don't really um, I uh, I don't know. I, I sort of I kind of go with the flow with far as far as writing is concerned now more than I did and I don't really care about what other people think as much, you know. And I, I, when I talk about notes, I always make it sound like the, the biggest idiots in the world giving you notes, and they often are, but often they're not, you know. Huh? Uh, but when I, you know, when I, when I get notes, and, I, and and they sound like the worst thing in the world, and they're awful, and I think God, I don't have to do that. I want to. I just, you know, I just think, well, you know, at least I'm still alive, <laughs> and uh, kind of, kind of puts it in perspective, you know. Because um, uh, you know, because I was, you know, I I did, I I was, you know, I had, I lost the use of the right side of my body and and my my left eye, and I had to learn how to how to walk again, and and, and it didn't affect my uh, my my brain or my my speech uh, much, um, although I did worry that it that it would somehow affect my the funny part of my brain or something, but. Um, it it didn't, and um, you know I I did, and I I was on Boston Legal at the time, and uh, and but like a, a a good professional, I had it right at the hiatus, so I had you know like two months to to sort of almost kind of recover, and then they they were fortunate, they were nice enough to hire me back, and um, sure. and I did the next year on that, but it was it was a it was a difficult year, a difficult year. And then right when I was getting better, I was sort of recovering. We had the strike. And um, and then I, I spent the strike, you know, just writing stuff of my own, just stuff that I, I wanted to write. And, and it was good stuff. And I felt I felt that I was I was OK. 
But, uh, yeah. That's important stuff. It really is. Uh, sure. I got to talk about Newhart, and I got to talk about the greatest ending ever in television history. Not sorry, Breaking Bad, sorry, Sopranos, sorry, anything, with the one with Suzanne Plachet. Yeah, well, I, you know, Newhart, the ending of Newhart. Well, I, I worked, I did like two episodes of that show, of Newhart. And, and then later I worked on another show with him, uh, Bob. Bob, which was yep. another failure, but it was a really good show. And I'm very proud of it. And I have a lot of close friends that I have from that show, Cynthia Stevens, Tim Fall, and, and Newhart, too. He was a, he's a great man. I mean, he's, he's just exactly like he seems. I mean, he's just that guy. And and he was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to write for. But oddly enough, I, you know, the, the ending of the ending of Newhart. I, I was working on Cheers when when right. when that ending had come up, and yep. and there were a number of right there were a couple of writers on that show who'd been on Newhart. Um, okay. And um, and everybody I everybody I talked to from Newhart has taken credit for that ending. Cool. <laughs> everybody said, <laughs> I came up with that. I came up yeah. with that. I came up with that. The only the only person who didn't take credit for it was Bob, of course. Bob Newhart, and he yep. and he said his wife came up with it. <laughs> he said Ginny came up with it. He gave, gave credit to her. So I I I just anyway yeah no that that is a that is a wonderful ending. And, you know, and the, but he he is he's such yeah. a great guy. So the breadth of your work yeah, yeah. is really interesting to me because you know you talk about you're the the Elmore Leonard on crack, something that I read from your uh, book from Away coming out. I thought that was a great right, line. Right, right. But I'm right. specifically interested, though, right. specifically interested in the in the almost the giant chasm, perhaps, and maybe you can clarify between Mrs. Winterborn, a sweet, lovely confectionery movie with Shirley MacLaine and, uh, and, and Brendan Fraser and Ricky Lake, and then the fan. I find those to be wildly different. <laughs> Well, you know, they were they were they were made for the, the same producer. I, I was you know had a a brief uh, brief period where I was a screenwriter and 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 I did that and so I I actually I think the way it worked I think the way it worked was I was I was meeting with her about another project that was a sort of thr- a thriller that I had written and she said, well, I'm you know I'm doing this this thing based on. Um, a Colonel Woolrich book. This uh, um, is based on I'm, I Married a Dead Man by Colonel Woolrich, who's a, I'm, I'm 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 like the world's biggest Colonel Woolrich fan. I should have mentioned it mm-hmm. before when I was talking about James Kane and Jim Thompson. And but uh, Colonel Woolrich was it for me. You know, I loved him. And and I said, Oh God, I'd love I'd love to work on that. Wow, we're looking for a writer for it. And so they had that. There was already a, uh, the movie was already in development. There'd already been a screenplay written. And so I, I you know I, I was able to get on that and 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 see what what they were going for and and I think I brought it back a little bit more to the book and mm-hmm. um although it's it's obviously not a a you know dark film noir it's still a, a somewhat dark story yeah. um and um but yeah I I just loved it and 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 they loved what I did and I got along really real well with Richard Benjamin the director and and all that and you know with Ricky Lake and and uh, Brendan Fraser and went to Boston when they were shooting it, and I, you know, and oh, and then her her next project was the fan, and and so I, well, they just, I mean, they just you know, when when you I guess we were when you work with a writer and it works well, you just try them on that, and so I I pitched my take on the fan, which was also based on a on a novel by Peter Abrahams, 
and um and they liked it and I wrote it and um you know they they got it made very quickly and um so it although it is very different um you know it was made under the same umbrella and um in a way in a way it's they're both thrillers but they're just very different kinds of thrillers you know but now now in the case of of the the fan this was my you know introduction to the the big budget movie thing mm-hmm. so that i heard you know i heard well you know they they uh they they're they everybody loves your screenplay you know they hired uh they hired you know robert de niro wesley snipes tim uh tony scott to direct it it's great the, yep. what's the what's the first thing they do the first thing they do when they hire the tony tony scott the first thing to, they do is bring in other writers ah, bring in other writers they bring it so they don't they they find you know I, I forget. You know, I, I wrote this. The, the the whole reason that people are, are want to do it is because I wrote it, and 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 it's the way I wrote it. That that that's what. Well, so why do they? But they they brought in a much better writer than me, <laughs> very well known writer who will remain nameless, um, who did it. You know, did various rewrites on it, and you know, he didn't want to take credit for it. And and, and but then at the, the, the at the last minute when they were going to production. They hired me to to do the production rewrites. So I was rewriting a guy who'd rewritten me, oh, which wow. was very strange. And oh, I was, wow. you know, in the room with De Niro and 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 Wesley Snipes and all that when they were talking about the script. And um, uh-huh. um, and um, uh, it was. And I went to San Francisco when they shot the baseball stuff, and then yeah. and I when they shot some of the baseball stuff, and they had, you know, they had. Rain pouring down during the end of the game, and I remember trying to tell Tony Scott, you know, they don't, they don't actually play baseball in the rain. You know, they kind of call <laughs> rain delay. He didn't. That's he didn't point. care. He'd be fucking great. It'll be fucking great. He used to say. <laughs> that was good. He was. He was a. He was a wild man. They were all. They were all. It was, it was just. It was. It, it, it was the thing that that made me realize that I didn't really want to be a screenwriter because it was. You know, you were. You were just like so much of a cog in the machine. Yeah. And you know, uh, you're 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 a little bit below the guy who delivers sandwiches in people's estimation. <laughs> and, and whereas in TV, you know, if you're if you're the writer or the head writer, you're you run the show. You're the you know huh. they call you the the showrunner. You know that's a that's a real position. You know, sure. and sure. but in it, there's nothing there's nothing comparable in movies unless you direct what you write. You know, of course. Um, and um, so I I I, I didn't particularly care for the experience but um but it was uh, it was uh it was quite quite remarkable i would be remiss um, if i did not tell you or ask you did you write the nice to see you line yeah yeah, yeah. okay i owe you royalties a lot of them because i this is not a joke <laughs> because i say it all the time under my breath when i see somebody sometimes i'll say oh nice to see you and they won't know what I'm saying. They just think it's nice. But it's an internal joke for seriously 20 fucking years doing that. So I owe you a lot of money. Well, that's fine. I'm, 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 I'm just impressed that you saw the movie at all because it flopped when it came out, of course. I love that movie. You couldn't um, just stop for the top. But... It's so bananas. So I don't, want to keep up. I don't want to keep too much of your time, but I do have one final Jeopardy question that I always ask everybody. Yes, for yes. All the yes. money. And I love asking this question because there is no right or wrong answer. And that question is, mm-hmm. as a creative, when do you know you're done? 
When do you know you're done? When the deadline comes. Uh, um, uh, I, 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 I think. I mean, and, and and so you know when you're when you're because when you, I'll, I'll give two answers to that question. What is the 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 answer when you when you're writing again for hire? You know, when you're okay. doing a script, you you have to learn that nothing that you write, everything is fluid. There would nothing cannot be changed. Every, you know, by by somebody else, by you, by the actor, by the producer. Well, when they when they you know when when you write something, there's a tendency when you write something, when you first write something, and people give you notes that will change it dramatically, to just freeze up and just say, "Well, I won't do it. It's wrong. I can't do that." But there's always another way to approach something. There's always another way to do something. It's 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 never done until it's filmed. And even then, it's not always done <laughs> because they'll, they'll go back and reshoot it. Um, now, when you're writing something for yourself, uh, that's that's sort of a harder a harder thing. I mean, I I, I have a, a novel that I'm working on now that I've been working on for like two years, and and I, you know I keep thinking, oh God, I should do this different, I should do that different, and I I just have to hope that I you know get a publisher that wants to publish it because then I'll know I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, you know, I I keep tinkering with it. I keep tinkering with it, and that's that 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 is a tough one. That is a tough one. It's a uh, same it's with like, artists, I, I, right? How do you know? How do you know when the painting is finished? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, that's, I stole that line from uh, the Jackson Pollock movie with Ed Harris, and someone asked him that question. Out of Jackson Pollock, and his answer was like, "When do you know you're done making love?" Which I thought was very Jackson Pollock asked to ask. But I, I feel young this question. I mean, really young got the best answer. He goes, when I'm done. All right. There you go. Well, yeah, yeah. No, there, there was that. There was a line from uh, Agon in the Ecstasy with uh, uh, Charlton Heston and Richard Harris, you know. Oh, yeah. It'll be done when it's done. It'll be done when it's done. Um, that. It is a, it is an interesting question, though. And I know, because, again, I know, I know a lot of writers that, think they're done too soon you know that yeah. don't i mean because i mean and it took me i think probably the hardest thing that i learned over the longest time was the ability to to rewrite you know the ability that, that you know you are you know you can always go through it and tinker with it and make it better and um you know that it's i mean your your first impulse is often is often right. I mean, the the first impulse often is is a good way to go, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a it's a good way to get it down initially, and then you have to fine tune it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that um, great yeah. answers all around. Um, thank you. Seriously, this is great. I learned so much from people like you. This is why I do this podcast. I'm an eternal student, mm-hmm. and I don't have to be the smartest guy well, in the room. Thank you. Honestly, that's great. That's great. Well, you you asked you ask unusual questions, and you got I didn't give you the same answers that I give all the time, so that was good. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Pete Sutton, for the fabulous conversation. I really enjoyed it. And by the way, I am totally going to watch uh, the last weekend here in a bit because you influenced me on your Twitter oh. account. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a great movie. It's a great movie, and uh, yes. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of good movies out there. There were a lot of them that were made before the year 2000. Exactly. <laughs> oh, network. I could do a whole podcast on network. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Uh, seriously, Pete, what a wonderful conversation. You're a great man. I mean that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It, it was fun. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And if you want to do something else again, let me know. I would love to network. One whole – I'm serious. I could talk about network for days. <laughs> Patty Chayefsky. Well, yeah, I could talk about Patty Chayefsky for days. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, definitely. You and I, yeah, we yeah, should be friends. Yeah. Oh, great talking to you, my friend. All right. Great. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.